Welcome to Music Sense. I am your host, Richard Vachon, and my guest today is Stuart Grant. When we look at this name, uh, we are quite impressed with what we found. I have the impression of uh, being present with uh, Heinz Oliger, that even if he um, if he thinks that he's very different. <laughs> Stuart, when uh, was born in Fort William, Ontario, when you grew up and received his early musical training in Montreal, writing from the Faculty of Music of McGill, McGill University, and at the Conservatoire de Musique du Québec, when he was awarded Premier Prix in oboe in the class of Melvin Berman. Later on, in '72, he joined the National Arts. Center Orchestra in Ottawa, and it was during this two seasons with this organization that he decided to pursue a career as a composer and conductor. In 1978, Mr. Grant was uh, named music director of the Let's Bridge Symphony Orchestra in Alberta. That's probably where you met uh, Wayne uh, Toes at, uh, at that occasion. Um, no, it was a little bit later. And it was actually in Banff. It was in Banff. Because it, okay. um, it was at the, at the Canadian Festival of Youth Orchestras, where I was the oboe instructor, and, and Wayne brought his Saskatoon Youth Orchestra. Okay. Um, in 1988, in recognition of his many accomplishments in Lethbridge, he was presented with uh, the, the Heinz Unger Award at the National Conference of the Association of Canadian Orchestras. Returning to Quebec in 1995, Mr. Grant has composed commissioned works for various artists and organizations, including the Montreal Symphony Orchestra, the Canadian Choir, Chamber Choir, Les Jeunesses Musicales du Canada, the Banff International String Quartet Competition, L'Orchestre de Chambre de l'Estrie, the pianist Paul Stewart, the violinist Martin Weaver and Richard Roberts, L'Orchestre de Chambre Appassionata, the Ayurama and Estria Quintet, Musica Camerata Montreal, the Quatuor Claudel, and the Saxophone Quartet Saxart. Over the course of his career, Stuart Ward has also written for ensembles such as the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra, the Regina Symphony Orchestra, the Hamilton Philharmonic, the 13 Strings of Ottawa, the Foothill Brass, and the Saskatoon Symphonietta, as well as for solo artists such as the pianist Charles Forman and Glenn, Mon Glenn Montgomery, the teacher of uh, Carlos Foggin, Don André Laberge, uh, the abbot of uh, Saint Benoît du Lac. and contralto Maureen Forrester. His compositions have been uh, performed by orchestras, such as the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, the Israel Chamber Orchestra. You, you have connection with the Jews? Um, I, have, with... I, have, I, have com I have connections with all sorts of people. I have, with, as you just mentioned, <laughs> the abbot at St. Benoit de Lac is my Catholic connection. Yes, I have, yes. I have, I've written for the Israel Chamber Orchestra. Um, that must that must be coming from Mont Royal in Montreal. In Montreal. <laughs> I, uh, no, and and I myself, you know, one of the most important pieces is based on a poem by a man named Paramahansa Yogananda, who was one of the great uh, spiritual ma masters, one of the great yogis who came to uh, America in 1920. Okay. So I've I'm. I'm uh, no, it's, I mean it's it's amazing. Happy. It's amazing all the all the, the the all what you have done. Uh, you have also uh, your your composition have been performed by I Musici de Montreal of Montreal with uh, Yuri Torovsky. Uh, uh, yeah, the late Yuri Torovsky. That was an, that was one of my favorite ensembles in Montreal. The same yeah, to this, to this, this orchestra. They, they were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, 
also for the U, the National Youth Orchestra, the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra, for whom he has composer. Um, he was a composer of the season for 95-96. Your works also have been uh, performed by Les Violons du Roi with Bernard Labadie. Yeah, it's, it actually wasn't Bernard who was conducting, but, uh, but yes. Was, uh... Les Violons du Roi, okay. The McGill Chamber Orchestra and the Calgary Philharmonic, but also uh, by artists such as the pianist Stéphane Lamelin, pianist Andrew Wan, James Somerville, principal horn of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Uh, his music has been frequently broadcast across Canada on CBC Radio and has been performed in Europe, United States, India, and South America. His works are available through the musical, through the Canadian Music Center and the Theodore Presser Company. In 2010, Grace Stewart was awarded the Prix Fernand Lindsay of the Association of uh, des Orchestres de Jeunes du, du Québec in recognition for his dedication to the case, to the cause of youth orchestras in Quebec. In 2017, he received uh, the uh, the Canada 150 Community Service Award. In the 2012, he received the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal in recognition and of his contribution to the musical life of the West Island area of Montreal. Oof, you are all over the place. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I think a qualified. How can we? How can we summarize a life like this in forty-five minutes? It's impossible. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is, I was born in Fort William, which is actually now Thunder Bay, which is just about right in the middle of the country. I grew up in Montreal. Um, I lived for a while in Toronto and played in Toronto. I played in Ottawa. I ended up 16 years in Alberta. And um, I actually owned a shared up farm in Nova Scotia. And I did a lot of work in British Columbia. So I think that uh, I think I qualify as a Canadian composer. And I think I can see that literally my music has been performed from sea to sea. I, I think my music has been performed and I myself had performed either as an oboist or conductor in every province of, uh, of Canada, not the territories in the north, but across Canada from east to west. So, I mean, uh, when we see such accomplishment, we want to know if I say how did all, how did all started? Uh, how got you, uh, how got you interested with music when you were young? Well, I uh, had the good fortune of coming from what is definitely known as, as a musical family. Um, my mother was, uh, was an elementary school music teacher who was just very dedicated to creating an interest in classical music in her students and, and just getting them involved and just the value of music in people's lives. So she used to put on uh, Christmas concerts where there would be 300 kids on stage. And these were not classes, these were volunteer choirs that, that wow. were, uh, before school or, or you know, during, uh, during lunchtime at school. And also my older brother Bruce, he's also a very fine musician. He, um, he's a pianist. Uh, he, uh, his, he actually ended up pursuing a career in opera and operetta in France. He's been in, the, in France since the 1970s. But he was kind of my model in a way. Uh, that he was four, he's four years older than I am, so he was uh, uh, studying at the conservatoire, studying composition as well as piano. And I just grew up with this was sort of normal that people composed music and played and uh, you know when I was uh, when I was and, uh, and, 11, and had he and this to, he and I used to be listening to to things like Stravinsky and Sibelius and, and Schoenberg and and everything um, and then when he left for Juilliard uh, when I was uh, uh, in my, going to my first year of high school that's when I started playing the oboe and you know that was the point where I decided that I wanted to be a musician Is there a particular piece that uh, that you liked uh, very much when you were young that uh, uh, that got your attention that that got you passionate about music? Well, it's interesting because that first year that uh, you know after, when Bruce left, um, and my parents had quite an extensive record collection. These, of course, were LP records. Because we're talking about yes. the 1960s. 
And I found this record of a 470 by somebody named Mahler, who I had never heard of before. And, um, and I listened to this recording and I couldn't make an awful lot of sense of it. But then I discovered that Bruce actually owned a conductor's score for it. So um, I just became totally entranced by this piece of music, the Fourth Symphony of Mahler, and listened to it over and over again. And, and you were, uh, that's actually uh, how I basically learned how to read conductor's scores. That's, uh, I just became completely absorbed in this, in this piece. And actually that score is still down on my piano and it's completely falling apart. It's held together with tape. <laughs> <laughs> and how old were you at that time? So that means I was 12 or 13. 12 and 13 years old, already reading yeah. score of the Mother Symphony. Yeah, I mean, that's how I, I didn't know any better. That's how I learned how to read the conductor's <laughs> score. The thing is also, the Mahler wasn't very well known at that point. I mean, the, uh, and what happened over the, the next few years was that, that uh, then the very first really good recordings of Mahler's symphony started coming out. So um, uh, when I was in grade nine, when most boys were out playing baseball on Saturday afternoons. Every Saturday afternoon I listened to the old Bruno Walter recording of uh, Mahler's Second Symphony with the New York Philharmonic and with Maureen Forrester uh, as the, the alto soloist. And actually many years okay. later I ended up working with Maureen. She came to Lethbridge as, as one of our uh, guest artists. Oh, but that I, must have been yeah, a treat. That's what I was doing when I was in grade nine. I was, I was completely absorbed in Mahler's Second Symphony. And then when the Ninth Symphony, first really good recording of the Ninth Symphony came out, actually my parents bought it for me as a Christmas present. So that this wonderful but quite heavy symphony, for a long time I sort of associated with Christmas, which is not exactly what most people would think probably. And, um, and then the, the uh, George Schulte and, and the uh, Chicago Symphony started coming out with their recordings of, of the Fifth, Sixth, and Seventh, and Eighth Symphonies. Um, you know, that, that was the point where Mahler started to be really known and started to become popular. But uh, during those teenage years, his music was definitely uh, the thing that I found, found most interesting. They just really touched me and, and uh, really spoke to me. Mahler is someone that is very passionate, very, uh, you listen to his music, he's very, uh, I would say, extremely passionate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I say that's true. You know. Yes, uh, it's uh, it's it, 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 it was not that popular at that time, precisely because of his intensity. I guess he, uh, people were not uh, used to that; were not maybe prepared to that. Well, it also had to do with his musical language, which was more towards. I mean, he, in in a way, like like. Beethoven was the transition from the classical period of Mozart and Haydn into the romantic period of, of Brahms and Wagner. Um, Mahler was the transition between the romantic period to the modern Wagner into into uh, into the 20th century with people like mm -hmm. Schoenberg and, and Berg and and uh, um, and, and so you know, in many his his music in some ways, pretty back in the 1960s was was still considered kind of challenging. It was, uh, plus the fact that his symphonies are so long, I mean, you, you can't really make a lot of sense from all, of a Mahler symphony from one listening. You really do have to listen to them a number of times before they really, yes, really make yes. sense to you. Yeah, to understand um, the structure and the, yes. But, um, but it's, I think the main thing about the, the music is that it's extremely profound. And actually the things I like best in Mahler are these slow, expressive things, which some of which are absolutely heavenly. I mean, they're just things like the... the oh, the Adagio of, of, the, uh, of the fourth, I think. The Adagio of the, of the fifth. Of the fifth. The yes. But yes, but the, but yes, but the slow moment of the fourth symphony, I mean, it's just, um, the end of that is just, I mean, really, it's, it's like he takes you up into a celestial realm. It's just, it's very special. And, and again, when I was 13 years old, I mean, this meant an awful lot to me. Absolutely, um, yes, yes. Um, it's those tender parts in Mahler that, that really, for me, were the most meaningful. Why this choice of the oboe? Oh, oh, that's a funny one because, um, you know, uh, because that's not an e it's not that's not an easy instrument to play. It's definitely not an easy instrument to play. I can definitely attest to that. Um, I used to go to Montreal Symphony concerts with my parents. Um, 
And actually, the original instrument I wanted to play was French horn, except that I actually had horrible buck teeth, so that, that, that really wasn't an option. But when I started high school, which again was the, you know, uh, the year that Bruce left for Juilliard, and I, uh, so I was in actually the after-school band uh, at, at John Rennie High School here in Point Claire. Thank goodness, you know, the teacher, Walter Adward, had an after-school band because I was in a special French class which coincided in the schedule with the music class. And uh, I went through the usual thing that happens with band students, which, he, you know, he looked at, at my embouchure, my teeth and everything. And again, because of my buck teeth, brats were completely out of the question. So it came down to, uh, to either oboe, clarinet, saxophone, or bassoon. And the thing is that, um, I mean, I had a certain idea what the oboe was, but, but mainly I remember being really uh, struck by, by the English horn, by the Coran Anglais. And I remember specifically hearing Arthur Romano, who was the English horn player of the Montreal Symphony at that time, playing the, the solo in the Roman Carnival Overture of, of Berlioz. Mm. And so when I had this choice, I said, well, I, the oboe is related to the English horn, so I'll, I'll take the oboe. And, and interestingly enough, actually, when I, um, you know, where, how I, in many ways, made my, my, first made my name as an oboist in Montreal, it was playing Coran Anglais, it was playing English horn. Uh, including with the symphony and, and uh, with the Grand Ballet Canadien and, and and that in many ways it's uh, it's been a special it's been a special instrument for me. That was part of my job with the National Arts Centre Orchestra. That was part of my job with the Canadian Opera Company when I was in Toronto. I mean, it was uh, uh, for me the English horn and the oboe, and then the the nice inst compromise instrument in between the oboe and the moray, which which is like a miniature English horn. That's in many ways, that's my favorite of the three, and uh, you know, I ended up composing music for, for over the moray, which is unusual. My sister is uh, is a doctor. She had to make a choice, if I can say, at uh, at, at the point of your at the stage of her life, to if she was going to, into music or into medicine. Uh, she went into medicine, but she kept music very alive. I say in her life, she's playing the plan the the, the piano. But recently, she's uh, starting playing the, the oboe. Uh, so it's just another fan, if I can say. She's uh, she's very attracted to this instrument, just just as as you were. Uh, well, it it really is a special instrument, and it takes a certain amount of dedication. Um, I mean, you have two reads on on this on this thing. It's uh, when when you look at the oboe players. You have the impression that, that you need so much pressure uh, uh, to, to be able to produce the sound of this. It's uh, it's uh, it's, it's very difficult on the breathing. Well, um, as you mentioned, but you but but you told me that you had a trick. Well, it's not exactly a trick, but the thing is that that you know, as you mentioned, I studied with Melvin Berman at the Conservatoire in Montreal, and Mev was the first oboist in Montreal Symphony for many years. But I had the great good fortune that the two years I was a member of the National Youth Orchestra, the oboe instructor was Ray Still, who like for 40 years was the principal oboist of the Chicago Symphony and definitely one of the great oboe teachers in the world. And he had an approach to the oboe that allowed you to play the oboe more comfortably than I think most people find it. And it was a case of learning how to pace your breath so that you weren't always just trying to blow against the resistance because the big problem with oboe is the, the, the opening and the reed is so tiny that mm -hmm. the resistance is huge. And a lot of people try to deal with this by basically blowing as hard as they can. And then that actually can become dangerous. But with Ray, um, what he taught was basically you put just the right amount of air through the, through the reed to get the sound you want. And it allows you to play far more comfortably than I think is, is otherwise the case. The and art is to be able to produce a soft sound with the, with your bow. Uh, a loud sound is, uh, seems to be uh, easier, but a, a, a soft introduction seems to be more difficult. Well, again, you know, Ray's approach was really good this way because um, technically he taught how to play with a great deal of flexibility. Um, that was definitely the influence, the, 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 um, that, was, that was definitely the emphasis in his teaching and in my own teaching also is, is that uh, I like to say to my students, it's like being a karate master. You want to be, be, be strong and yet flexible all the time. It's a combination of strength and flexibility. And according to what I learned from Ray and what I teach, I mean, the, the, uh, it, 
playing soft, it, it is definitely more of a challenge to play soft on the oboe, but to do so, you basically just close down your jaw a bit more, so the opening of the reed is smaller. It's not complicated. And, uh, but yes, it does take a lot of control. And, uh, well, that's, <laughs> that's part of the challenge. But, it, but it, you know, you have the same kind of challenges on, on all instruments. You know, it's interesting because certainly we, at a high school level and, and even later, you have a lot more flutists and clarinetists than, uh, than oboists. But to play any of these instruments really well takes dedication and training and... and, and uh, yeah, you have to put the work in it, huh? Yeah. But, but you, need, you need also the talent, if I can say, at uh, the well, first yeah, place. Yeah, but I've got to say yes. that, that, that really it was... Uh, I was very fortunate that, that without having to leave Canada, I was able to study with one of the world's great oboe teachers. And... Uh, you know, you know. Thank you to the National Youth Orchestra for for that opportunity. From the oboe, you became uh, a conductor. Well, the interesting thing is, is that when I was thirteen and back in grade eight, I basically decided that I wanted to play the oboe because that's the instrument I started to play and realized that I wanted to play, and I wanted to compose. As, as again, it was kind of normal in our house because Bruce was composing, and I also wanted to be a conductor. I made that decision back when I was 13 years old. And, um, and when I was a student at McGill, um, we actually organized a chamber orchestra, which I conducted for two years. And, and it, it, uh, that was when the faculty music was much, much smaller than it is now. Uh, mm. and, um, so the idea was that it could supplement what we were doing with the Miguel Symphony Orchestra as it existed in those days. But it meant that, you know, when I was 18 years old, I was running an orchestra. Um, and the funny McGill, thing... Uh, McGill, the same university as uh, where uh, graduated uh, Yannick Desesseguin. Uh, no, actually he graduated from McGill... Uh, Yannick uh, graduated from the Conservatoire, from my other student. From my other oh, student. okay. okay. Oh, no, Yannick went through the Conservatoire. And, the, and a lot of very fine musicians have gone through the conservatoire. Okay. Uh, um, because he received a special award from the McGill well, that's, at some point. That's very likely, yeah. Yes. But, he, but, his, but the school where he studied in Montreal was actually the, the Conservatoire de Musique du Québec at Montréal. Okay. Uh, and uh, um, again, that's a school that has produced a lot, of, a lot of very fine musicians. And the thing is that the way things were in Montreal at that time, I studied at both. I was studying at both simultaneously. Um, and with the and in the case of the conservatoire, I started there when I was when I was fifteen, when and uh, maybe even fourteen. It was in when I was in grade ten. Um, I uh, I was studying. Mev was the, the teacher of the conservatoire, so uh, you know I was studying oboe and solfege and. and, uh, and so you were studying at both places at the same time. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering if I could see with the, how did it work. I see, I saw the both, and I was wondering if he one after the other. Or uh, no, it's, uh, it's, no. And the thing, the thing is that that I think things have changed now. But at that time, the conservatoire really was a conservatory. It was not set up like a bachelor of music degree or something like that. Basically, um, you could be admitted to the conservatoire whenever you were ready. If you were eight years old and you had the talent and you were ready to study the conservatoire, you could study at the conservatoire. Wow, and, uh, you know, for me, I, uh, for me, I was again. I was, uh, I guess, I guess when I started, I was actually fourteen, and uh, fourteen. And the, the thing is that Mev was the was the oboe teacher, and of course, you know, one of the interesting things in those days was completely subsidized. They didn't, you know, had to pay anything to study there. And uh, that and was the a good old time, yes. And and the the. And the way it worked was uh, it wasn't organized according to the structure of the usual, the usual structure you have with a bachelor's degree or, or, or whatever. Um, it was organized in, in, in cycles. So, you know, a cycle could be one year or it could be three years. It depended on how, you know, on, on how you progressed. So you could study at the conservatoire for 12 years, you know, from, from the time you're really little to, you know, until you're in your 20s in principle. And, uh, you know, so I studied there for seven years, and um, I graduated from there when I was 20, and, um, you know, and was already starting to play professionally. Was already playing a lot with Montreal Symphony as an extra, and, and uh, with the Orchestra du Canada and the Grand Ballet Canadien, and... and uh, Who uh, was the conductor at that time of the Montreal Symphony? 
Well, when I was playing with him, it was Franz Paul Decker. And, uh, you know, and Mev used to have them hire me to play second double with him so, to, uh, so that we could play together. And, uh, okay. you know, and it, but it also meant that I did concerts with Zubin Mehta and Carl, Carl uh, Maria Giolini and uh, I remember doing, doing the, the Sacre de Printemps with, uh, with Raphael Frubeck de Burgos. Um, so what, uh, what are the great uh, pieces for oboe in the repertoire? For the for the in the orchestra repertoire or yes the, yes yes the orchestra repertoire, uh, Le Tombeau de Couperin, Ravel, the Beethoven Eroica Symphony, um, Tchaikovsky Fourth Symphony, um, you know Brahm, the the second movement of the Brahms Violin Concerto. Have and you tried the Scheherazade? And there's oh, there's yeah, yes there's Scheherazade. In fact, you know one of the recordings uh, I had at home was a, it was a Chicago Assembly recording of Scheherazade and, and this, uh, you know, beautiful oboe solo in the second movement. And I ended up studying with the person who was playing that in that recording. And, and okay. actually, for that matter, I mean, the, the recording of Mahler's Fourth Symphony that I used to listen to when I was 12 and 13 is Chicago Symphony. It was where Ray still playing first oboe, and here I ended up studying with him. Okay. Um, what about uh, uh, more chamber pieces? Oh, um, well, one of the things about the oboe is there's a lot of wonderful Baroque repertoire. And, okay. you know, pretty with uh, my wife, Joanne, who's a cellist, um, you know, we've, we've functioned for many years as a duo, and, and that's largely Baroque repertoire, pretty French Baroque repertoire, Couperin. Um, yes. Michel Poiret, also Handel, uh, not so much Bach, but uh, uh, Telemann. Um, chamber music, there's a wonderful quartet for oboe and string trio by Mozart. Um, there's a wonderful quartet uh, for oboe and string trio by Benjamin Britten. Um, yes, there is this uh, famous piece in the uh, Mozart uh, movie Amadeus, where uh, Salieri is, uh, is reading the score and he's, he's just amazed, if I can say, by well, what, what he's reading. That, one of the things in that, in that, uh, in that movie is uh, Mozart wrote a wonderful uh, serenade for, for 13 wind instruments. That's it, and that's actually the adagio for that is in the is in the uh, is in that movie. And you you start and, with the, the the clarinet and then the oboe. No? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. And the thing is, yeah, that's that's some of the most wonderful stuff to play is is Mozart chamber music, and actually yes. Ray still loved that stuff, and we used to do that kind of stuff, thing with him. And um, oh yeah, the Mozart the Mozart chamber music things are, are wonderful. And the crazy thing is that that. You have the Mozarts, you have a lot of Baroque music, but there's almost nothing in chamber music for the oboe during the, the Romantic period. So then you then when you get into the 20th century, then you start having more more interesting things. Okay. But one of the for me one of the big advantages of the 16 years I, I spent in Lethbridge conducting the symphony there was that um, again it was a community orchestra that when I when, you know when I started there it was pretty limited, but we built it and we and 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 um, one of the things we did is we put in place a professional string quartet. So the four principal string players were professionals. And, uh, and that also allowed us to then start a chamber orchestra, the Southern Alberta Chamber Orchestra, which was really quite a high quality. Um, but the four string players and I operated as a, um, as, a, as a chamber ensemble and did a lot of playing, did a lot of, did some touring. We went away as far away as the Soviet Union. We did, uh, um, you know, we used to do broadcasts for CBC, so oboe and strings, and so we really explored the oboe and string repertoire very thoroughly. Plus, I ended up composing some pieces for the for the group to play, and um, but it, but, it, but it was a wonderful thing because uh, I had a friend who <laughs> used to play with the Montreal Symphony. He used to say that some sometime he was going to give up music and become a conductor because. Very often, that's what conductors do. They stop playing. And, uh, and one part of being a conductor is pretty these days is just being an administrator and, and being a politician. And um, by being in Lethbridge, it meant that I was able to continue playing and doing a lot of playing on a, you know, regularly and teaching oboe. Uh, plus, as a composer, it meant I had an orchestra to compose for. So whereas a lot of... Uh, you know, a lot of composers will go to New York or Paris or, or Berlin or Vienna to complete their 
their development as, as a composer. I went to Lethbridge, Alberta, and that was much, much better because I had, uh, you know, as has been pointed out for me, it was like Esterhaza where, where uh, Haydn spent most of his career, which was very isolated, but he was composing all the time and composing uh, in a music that was being consumed immediately. And, you know, it meant that by being in Lethbridge, uh, I actually had an orchestra to compose for. And that's a bit like Bach that had ability. to compose a cantata every week. Well, yeah, no, it's the same kind of thing. Now, the thing is that it wasn't as, it wasn't as extreme as that. But, you know, I was composing something for the symphony just about every year, either the symphony or the chamber orchestra, and I was composing things for Musaeus, our chamber group. And it was just part of being there. And, and, and I wasn't the only composer there. There were also a couple of good composers, uh, John Jackson and, and, and uh, Dean Blair at the university. One of the things about Lethbridge is it's, it's small and it's quite isolated, but it has a university, it has a college, it actually has a federal agricultural research station. So there's a, there's a certain uh, educated base in Lethbridge. Okay. But beyond what you might find in, in other <laughs> prairie cities of 75,000. And and um, uh, but it but it meant that, that that playing and composing and conducting and it was it was just all integrated, and it meant that I could have that kind of balanced artistic life there, and at the same time as my composing was getting better thanks to be having an orchestra to to learn from, um, you know, then the Edmonton Symphony was starting to play my music, the Montreal Symphony played my music, um, I was which I is was, which is amazing. You know, but so I mean, here I was living in in this small city in the south of of, of Alberta, but um, you know, my music was being played across the country and 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 beyond. I mean, I have I have an American publisher because I I met Tom Breuder, who Breuder, who is the president of Theodore Presser Company, which is one of the most venerable uh, music publishers in the United States. We met at, at I used to attend uh, Association of Canadian Orchestras conferences every every two years, so that even though I was in in the south of Alberta in this isolated town, um, you know I was I was still very much in touch with the whole national uh, with the whole national scene. And you did at the same time. But, but, I mean, the thing about Lethbridge is is you're just a, an hour and a half drive from the Rocky Mountains, so that was also a very wonderful <laughs> advantage of being there. Yes, to go to Banff. Well, no, to go to Waterton, actually. But, but then Banff is something else, because the thing is, the Banff Center uh, was, was only uh, a three-and-a-half-hour drive away. Okay. And we had a very good relationship with the Banff Center. Um, I ended up, uh, there was a wonderful youth orchestra festival there every two years at Easter time. I, 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 became, I was their oboe instructor from 1984 till 1992, uh, which is where I met Wayne Toes, because uh, he would bring the Saskatoon Youth Orchestra. Um, and since that time, he, uh, he makes it a point to, uh, to come and see you every year in Montreal. <laughs> well, we certainly keep in touch. He's been a very good friend. But the, yes. uh, uh, but the thing is, at the Banff Center, they, uh, they used to bring in wonderful artists. Um, I, at one point, I ended up uh, spending two days with Vilta Ludoslavsky there. Uh, who's one of the great, you know, 20th century composers, and and uh, you know, and not so much as a student as as just a junior colleague, and and um, but just you know, getting his encouragement. Um, and there were pe there were people like like uh, pretty when Musaeus went to the Soviet Union, we went and 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 worked, played for various artists who came there. So we um, I played we played for Maurice Bourg, who was the who was the first oboist of Orchestre de Paris, and, and uh, um, it's amazing. Yes, you, you did the tour quite uh, extensively when you were artistic director of La, La Sinfonia de l'Ouest, uh, and artistic director of the West Island Youth Symphony Orchestra. Uh, you, uh, well, yeah, no, no, you, 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 uh, you, 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 you toured, if I can say, the, the, in all these countries in France, Italy, Austria, Czechoslovakia. Uh, so it is, you, you took all these these young uh, players, these young artists, if I can say, uh, with you all, all over the place, which, which is 
which is priceless in the life of young uh, yeah and the thing is it's, people. it's actually one of the advantages of being a musician is is that uh, um, when you tour you get to see all sorts of very interesting places yes. every, so, every so often you have to give a concert <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but but giving concerts in, in in very very interesting places. I mean, with yeah, with 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 the West Allen Youth Symphony Orchestra, I, I was I was their artistic director for eighteen years, and for me, um, I I must say that I've never really been interested in having a, you know, even even though I decided when I was thirteen I wanted to be a conductor, I never really was interested in having a big international conducting career, um, and. With something like 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 the West Allen Youth Symphony Orchestra, it it meant um, an opportunity to really share my love of music and my knowledge of music with these young people and just see them grow. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, in the over the eighteen years, we had almost three hundred kids who went through the orchestra, most of whom have ended up not being musicians. But the thing is that 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 um, by playing this repertoire, I and mean, we used to play the real symphonic repertoire. I mean, we did things mm -hmm. like. Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony and Brahms' First Symphony and pictures in an exhibition. And Shahrazad, um, it took us a while to get to the point where we could play that stuff. But we, but that's the kind of repertoire you were playing. So for, okay. these, for these young people who have um, now played that repertoire, then that repertoire means so much more to them than if they were, were just listeners or just, you know, your average teenager. Absolutely. And, you know, plus, you know, music is a wonderful... Uh, and... and in a certain way, pretty classical music is the discipline involved. I mean, it's it's um, it's a wonderful way to dis to to develop uh, teamwork, to develop uh, just basic discipline. Um, you know, the kind of teamwork involved with, say, a first oboist and a first flutist sitting next to one another, playing absolutely perfectly in tune, is such a fine level of teamwork. I mean, you don't find that in many other situations. And yes, so the the, the 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 fact that uh, you're not playing just a solo, uh, you have to uh, not only you have to, to 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 be able to reform, but you have to be able to listen. Well, yeah, to I your surrounding. My, you know, uh, my, so mantra, it's, uh, my mantra with the youth orchestra was listen and adjust. Yes. You know, I mean, they have to listen to one another, and you know, one of the things that I really emphasized a lot actually was intonation with the orchestra because. Because a lot of orchestras don't, a lot of youth orchestras don't sound terribly good because, because they're they're not really in tune. And, okay. Um, and I, I just made a big influence, uh, big emphasis. You insisted. On, on well, yeah, and it's something, but it, but it, but the, but you had to train them basically to exactly that to listen, and to yes. adjust. So they're always yes. adjusting to one another. Absolutely, and, yes. And frankly, this you know part of. Um, again, my the our oboe section was was my students, and and uh, again, thanks to what I learned from Ray, what I was able to teach them in terms of being able to play in tune with a good sound meant that our woodwind section always sounded good. It always it sounded it sounded in tune, and, and the whole orchestra sounded in tune, and um, and that's one of the keys to making an orchestra, you know, fundamentally sound good. Um, um, so again, the training, the training that we were able to offer these young musicians was really important, even if they didn't end up becoming musicians, because uh, again, the discipline involved, the listening, the, the, the adjusting to one another, the working together, plus actually playing this wonderful music. I mean, if you're playing Brahms for a symphony or um, you know other great repertoire, we did. We did all the Beethoven symphonies except for the, I think it's except for the Ninth Symphony over my 18 years with the orchestra. Wow. Um, you know, and just ha having them, you know, when you play that music, you experience it in a completely different way than when you're just listening to it. Absolutely, you understand so much better. Yes, yes. So that, what's know, what's uh, among all these pieces that you played with your uh, youth orchestra? Uh, was there some favorite? So that, well, that would come more often than the others. Shahrazad, and, and, and definitely that's, uh, you know, that's a very special piece. And one of the things about Rimsky-Korsakov, who composed Shahrazad, was that he really knew how to write for the instruments very, very effectively. Okay. So it's a piece which, it's difficult enough, but it sounds more difficult than it actually is. 
whereas Brahms first symphony is more difficult than it sounds. Well, Brahms is always developing. As oh, Leonard yeah. Bernstein was also, saying, uh, he's, he's, he's just exposing his, his uh, themes and he's already making, he's developing at, at, at oh, the same no, thing no. that he's exposing. It's multidimensional. His, his music is, is, for my money, is, is, is certainly has more substance to it than, than Rimsky Korsakov. But, but yes. Rimsky Korsakov really had a wonderful knowledge of how to make every instrument sound its absolute best. Yes. And, um, um, and, uh, and it is appealing for the, the, for the public, for, oh, the, uh, for, for the people it's to, to listen to, to get introduced to classical music, to love classical music. Yes. Yeah, and, that's, and that actually is a wonderful piece for, for people to get to know, to, to first uh, really familiarize themselves with classical music, because there is also the whole story behind it. So it's, it's easy yes, to also, music because of... Uh, you, you take the time to explain the story before you play it? Pardon me? You take the time to explain the story a little bit before you play it. Well, I certainly used to. Yeah, this is the kind of thing we used to do with the, with the youth orchestra. Also, yes. He also had a a, uh, a fellow named Pierre Rose who used to do wonderful audiovisual uh, presentations about the repertoire we did, so that the students could uh, could get that background about the the uh, about the pieces we were playing. And definitely, that's important. Um, but yeah, with the youth orchestra, we were able to do a wide variety of things. Again, you know, Beethoven, Mozart, uh, a certain amount of Baroque music, although not that much, because one of the things about having a youth orchestra is everybody's there because they want to play so that they don't want to be, <laughs> you don't want to be doing repertoire where not everybody's playing. Um, so again, that pieces like Scheherazade, uh, uh, pictures in an exhibition, we did uh, The Pines of Rome, we did Respighi, you know, some, of yes. big, you know, the, some of the big orchestra repertoire. Um, yes, you know, and actually we did do a little bit of Mahler. We did the the Mahler Adagietto from the, ah, we, did the ah, we did do the uh, we did the the Lieder eines Gesellen, the songs of a wayfarer. You didn't want to abandon the Mahler completely in your tours. No, it's, right? it's difficult. It's that's 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 uh, close to your heart. Oh, absolutely. But yes, uh, but but one of the interesting things is having, you know, having been so totally engrossed in Mahler's music when I was a teenager, of uh, for a long time, I then, you know, didn't really have that much to do with, with uh, I, I, I wasn't doing that much with Mahler because, I mean, one of the wonderful things about classical music is there's such a huge variety of music. So, um, you know, I, I was doing the Brahms symphonies, the Beethoven symphonies, the uh, Schumann symphonies, which are wonderful pieces. Um, Sibelius, uh, Stravinsky, Bartok. I mean, there's all sorts of other wonderful music. And, and it's uh, amazing the the variety of your your repertoire. It's, uh, it's uh, I mean that uh, you're not a specialist of any composer in particular. You're just uh, you're just the uh, universal man. Well, the thing is that my um, as a composer, again, when I was developing, when I was growing up as a composer, which is growing up, was the 1960s which was the height of the sort of crazy avant-garde music um, with people like Boulez, Stockhausen, music which was extremely intellectual, um, in many ways very far out. And when I came right down to it, I really wasn't interested in writing that kind of music. So that even though I started out as a, as a composition student at McGill, I made a decision midway through my second year. Uh, again, remembering Sejeps didn't exist, so, so my, you know, I started Miguel when I was 16. Um, mm. And again, I already had two years of the conservatoire when I started at Miguel. Uh, but in, in the middle of my second, my second year at Miguel, I really felt that I, I needed to make a decision between composing and, and oboe. And fortunately, I followed the advice of my teacher, Matt Berman, and decided to focus on oboe and completely put composing aside for six years. But it meant that, uh, you know, before I went back to composing, I had, I had, I had established this, this, uh, this very in-depth background as a performer, you know, including playing with the Montreal Symphony and at that point being a member of the National Arts Center Orchestra and, and playing all this different repertoire and, and, and uh, working with different conductors and working with wonderful colleagues in the orchestra. Uh, in you know, in, both in National Arts and Orchestra, and also when I was playing the Montreal Symphony, 
uh, people like flutist Gene, um, Gene Backstresser, uh, uh, Larry Combs. Gene went on to be first flutist in the New York Philharmonic. Larry Combs went on to be first clarinetist of the Chicago Symphony. Um, you know, I was working with these wonderful, wonderful musicians. So that when I did go back to composing, I had this background. And what I actually ended up doing uh, was I did resign from the orchestra because I decided that that's what I wanted to focus on. And composing ended up in Toronto where I, where, I, where I discovered uh, a wonderful teacher named Gordon Delamont, who was a jazz musician. <laughs> and um, I took two years of private lessons with him. And actually, you know, I... Um, um, the way I, I, I didn't even know about it when I moved to Toronto. And I moved to Toronto to be part of a, of a chamber music ensemble after I left the National Arts Center Orchestra. But I, um, uh, I decided I, should, I wanted to find myself a private teacher. So I just walked into the front door of the faculty museum of the University of Toronto and asked if I, if I could speak to um, the head of the composition department, who happened to be available and happened to be very open to talking to me and explain my situation. And, and uh, he suggested that I should get myself a private teacher. And I mentioned that I was kind of interested in jazz because for some strange reason, when I started to compose after not composing for six years, always coming out with sort of like 1940s jazz. And I don't know why, whether it was because of watching too much TV when I was a kid or something, but whatever. <laughs> um, so he said, oh, well, then you should contact Gordon Delamont, who I never even heard of at that point. And so I asked around and I finally, uh, you know, everybody talked very highly of him and I finally contacted him and I had an interview with him. And he accepted me as a student, and I was put on his waiting list for a whole year before he actually had space. That's okay. all he, he had. That's all he did. He just taught out of this private studio, um, mainly teaching jazz musicians, including some of the foremost Toronto jazz musicians. And then I spent two years studying privately with him, and I just basically got my technique together. And then it worked out. That's when I went to Lethbridge, and then I had an orchestra to compose for, so I was able to, to then take the technique I learned from Gordon and put it to use and develop it. And um, so I don't actually have a degree in composition. And for that matter, I don't have a degree in conducting, even though I've earned my living over the course of my career primarily as a conductor. Which is, which is amazing, which is amazing, given the quality of what you compose. I did listen, if I say, to one of your uh, composition. Uh, the one that I liked very much was the uh, the one for the choir. Okay. I very like, if I can say, your, your harmonies, if I can say, in this, uh, in this composition. Uh, the, the, what 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 brought you to compose finally was precisely this immense database that you had. Uh, being familiar with uh, one comp one composer after the other is like learning a different language. Well, yeah, no, and, and so and, and, so uh, you 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 uh, you learn if I see all these different languages from different composers. You you can look at the score. You you look at how they compose their music. And after a while, you uh, you get uh, you get that uh, that uh, piqûre, as we would say like, in French. Uh, you you get this uh, this uh, this motivation that 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 uh, to 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 want to compose yourself. Well, yeah, because that's what it comes down to. Is is that you know the way the reason I became a composer is because I loved the music that I was hearing when I was young. You know, Mahler specifically, but also, you know, Beethoven and Brahms, Sibelius, Sibelius' Second Symphony was always one of my favorite pieces, and, and um, the Pines of Rome, which we ended up doing with the youth orchestra, I remember listening to with Bruce, you know, in our living room, you know, when I was 11 years old, and, and, uh, um, and so, you know, basically I wanted to produce music like that myself, and that's also one of the reasons also why I really wasn't really interested in producing music like Boulez and Stockhausen. That's not why I wanted to compose. I wanted to compose, um, you know, music like what I, I, I had come to love when I was, when I was young. But the, at the same time, just rehashing that music is kind of pointless. So the, the, the thing is to, to be able to, um, to take all that influence, but but then transform it into something which really is personal, and really and which is unique. And I think I've been able to do that to at least some extent. I think that I've been able to take all these different influences, and and frankly, partly thanks to the technique I learned, you know, this basic harmony and counterpoint I learned from Gordon, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, and being when, able to uh, develop that into into my own language. When we look at the, the movie Amadeus, at the end, we see Mozart dictating to Salieri, if I can say, uh, the, 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 his, uh, the, uh, the, the rest of his Requiem. Uh, 
is composing uh, are you is it does it show us a, a resemblance of how a composer someone composed music <laughs> well okay now you've got <laughs> you, you get you, you get the bass line and then you get the and then you build on it and then well, how, really how do you how do you how do you compose okay um, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know as, as I as I, I've, I've already told you these uh, before in, in our emails I've, I've one of the things I've done over the pandemic is at least a text for a book about about music and how music works and part of it is uh, a recipe <laughs> for writing a melody with accompaniment and it really kind of summarizes because if basically music is not made from notes music is, is made from, from musical ideas the mm -hmm. most <laughs> the most famous specific idea being, being ba -ba 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 from Beethoven's Fifth Symphony right there's a yes. musical idea and yes. a musical idea to, to really be fruitful has to have uh, an energy to it, it has to have a, a character, it has to have an identity, um, uh, it has to have a shape, and then basically when you're composing, you you know, you start off with an initial idea, and the, the initial idea can be very simple, as is in the case of the Beethoven, and then there you have three choices. You can either repeat the same thing over again, or you can do something totally different, or you can do something which is a variation, so it keeps some elements of the initial idea, but also new ideas. Mm -hmm. And basically, as you go through, at every stage of composing a composition, whether it's just an eight-bar melody or a 40-minute symphony, that's basically what you're dealing with, is, you know, what comes you, you, next, you, how am I going to take the ideas I have and develop them into something which retains the interest of the of the listener and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and... Yes, Bernstein was, uh, was interesting. Again, one of his concerts to the, uh, the young people in New York, uh, he showed some of the, some of the tricks, uh, some, yeah. of, some of the tools well, that, that, that the composers are using, if I can say, to, in the, yeah, to, uh, when they compose. Bernstein is somebody who I, I did meet and spend a tiny bit of time with at Tanglewood, actually back in 1986, and somebody who I really respect hugely. Well, I mean, again, okay, he's an example of a composer who I was happy to emulate because he has that, uh, he's able to take music which is fairly traditionally based with a certain jazz influence and make it sound fresh and new without doing crazy things uh, like a lot of avant-garde composers do. Yeah, he did. He did a great composition for uh, his uh, uh, his Broadway uh, piece. Well, West Side Story, but, but you know that was actually his greatest fear is he would be remembered as the composer of West Side Story because he wrote a lot of other music which was a lot more sophisticated. And actually, the music from West Side Story is quite wonderful. From yes. the dances, the, 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 yes. there, there's uh, he's famous for this one. The, what he was was called the, the symphonic dances from West Side Story. Um, mm -hmm. um, is a wonderful piece which really influenced my, my, my own writing. And again, it's, it's an example of being able to take what is fundamentally a jazz popular music language, being able to transform it into something of real substance and, uh, you know, and real depth. Um, and just a song like, like Somewhere is just such a profoundly beautiful song. Yes, I mean it's interesting that you got into composing through a jazz uh, teacher. Uh, I was discussing jazz uh, with uh, Wayne, and he was telling me that uh, the, the the rhythm with uh, in jazz uh, is uh, is about uh, uh, is about supporting. Uh, the, 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 the melodies that the, the other players are, are, are doing. Well, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the strict uh, beat you know, like in rock music. It's, uh, it's something that is very flexi flexible, very eloquent. Yeah, what, make, what makes the, the, the rhythm interesting in jazz and in a lot of popular music also is, is uh, and rock music is that you do have a, a fundamental underlying steady rhythm. But yes then very often the melody and everything else is, is syncopated, it's going against that, 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 uh, um, that steady rhythm, and that's what makes it interesting. I mean, that's the whole mm -hmm. idea of syncopation. Um, yes. And, and um, 
you know, it's also something which for me is, is very important in my, in my own music and, and, uh, and something which actually with a lot of avant-garde classical music, they sort of lost touch with that, of that, with that. And, um, you know, you know, rhythm, <laughs> rhythm is the most fundamental element of music. I mean, you can have a piece of music which is just rhythm and nothing else, and, and I can go... <laughs> yes, we have we have a bit too much of that right now in the in the world today. Yeah, uh, we we need a bit more melodies, I think. Yeah, but the thing is that the, the rhythm actually is the foundation. And yes, yes. There's the rhythm, the harmony, the the and the melody. Yes, yes. No, it all it all it all comes together. But but the uh, um, you know in terms of the, of the the process of composing. What I said is true. I mean, basically, you develop ideas. But the thing yes. is that with practice and with training, you also know how to fit that together with other voices, with you know, with 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 the harmonies and, and everything, so that it all it all works. And that's, and that is, largely a question of experience. You know, you you, you experiment. Uh, composing is also a uh, a process of, of experimentation, of just basically. <laughs> You know, if you ask me, how do I compose? I sit down at the piano and I fool around till I find something I like. It's basically that simple, you know, except that then with experience you learn how to develop that. But yes, that, yes, that, but I'm sure, I'm sure that before you sit at the piano, sometimes you, you must have some ideas that oh, you, yeah. you, just, you just want to express in music but, or but so. It can, but it can be that simple. Yes. You just start, you know, like coming up with basic ideas. Yes. Again, basic ideas can be very simple and I, I can come up with, Look, I mean the I can, the best. I up, I, with, first of all, I can come up with just little core ideas for a piece. Uh, I could come up with the twenty in five minutes, but I got I could actually come up with an, an overall idea of of five different pieces in, in, in five minutes. It's just that then to go through the process of actually filling out all the details might take a year. Mm. <laughs> but the um, but I mean know. the best music. The best music is when the composer has something to say. Of course, and I think then that's. Uh. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole, I, I think the important thing is that um, the music has to mean something to the listener, and in many ways, even more importantly, to the performer. I think that as a, yes. as a, as a composer, I'm very aware that um, the most important thing is to is that performers want to play my music because they get something out of playing my music, and then they can share that with listeners. Yes. Um, and that's and that really is the fundamental thing. That they like it. They like they like the message that is transmitted by a trio music. Yeah, it the music it doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, sometimes in my case, I uh, like something spring came dancing, which is based on a poem, or the sand like sketches, which are based on paintings. You have, you know, things which are not musical, which are, which become the basis of it. Uh, and in many ways, it's very useful. And, and as we said with Shahrazad, I mean, it you know it then becomes easier in a way for the for the listener to understand what's happening. But even in music which is not based on things beyond music, it still has to have something to offer to the player and to the and to the listener, so they come away from the experience of hearing that music, feeling that they have received something worthwhile. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's pleasant and happy. Um, but they yeah, have some of the music are it, dramatic. Yes, absolutely. You know, yes, you know, yes. Or some music can be very disturbing. But the but the but the, but the music the, the listener has to feel that. That their time has has been well spent in, yes. in yes. listening to that music. Yes. And that's what I try to do with with whatever music I write, and um, you know, and and it can it, the exact content obviously varies from from piece to piece. It also varies a little bit from piece to piece in terms of what the the actual purpose of the piece is. But I think yes. that's the bottom line: is that is that the listener and also the performers have to feel that their time has been well spent, uh, that they've taken something meaningful from that experience of of listening or to or, or performing that music. Absolutely, there's a language there. Uh, my last question: What would be, uh, you know, you I already know the answer. What would be your favorite composer? <laughs> uh, Bach. <laughs> Bach. <laughs> Again, yes, I, I, would, I, would, I would. I would. believe so. I would believe so. It's. It's. It's possible. It's possible. Oh, yeah. well, because you're Bach. very. You're very intellectual. You're very intellectual. Yeah. Bach is okay. very intellectual. So okay. he. Uh, you need. Uh, you need something uh, that is uh, substantial to bite. Huh? Well, to chew. 
Okay, let me explain that, that uh, you know, even though, <laughs> even though I'm an oboist, at this point I spent far more, far more time playing piano than oboe. And, and I play Bach on the piano every day. Absolutely without question, I play Bach on the piano every day. Yes, and the, one of the particularities of the Bach is that the two hands are independent. Oh, yeah. Oh, which, know, which, really, which really gets your brain going. Oh, yes, and, and, and definitely my music is very contrapuntal. I mean, as an oboist, it means my music is very linear. Mm. Uh, the musical lines are crossing each other, yes. But the, but, the, uh, but the thing is that, yes, you know, Mahler is still, I still find very special. Brahms, you know, all the great composers, Mozart. Um, um, yes, but uh, you have a composer to, to whom you come back more often than the others. Well, I mean, Mahler is, you know, it's interesting because I come back to Mahler recently, having not spent a lot of time listening to his music, and it's really interesting to see uh, even more how wonderful it is, and now I can understand his music, at, you know, technically at a completely different level than, than, what, I, than uh, what I was able to when I was a teenager, and also really see how much that music has really influenced my own. And, uh, you know, there's definitely an element of that in, pretty in the pieces that I've, um, that I've written, which I think are most important. Okay, but you do play Bach every day. But I play Bach every day. Yes. Okay. So I mean, uh, Bach is pretty close to your heart. If you if you're going to okay. play this no this composer question. every day, uh, th there has to be some love in there. Uh. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, but also uh, among the wonder... pieces of Bach, what what would be your favorite? Cantata Ich habe genug, Cantata 82, wonderful oboe part, wonderful piece of music. Ah, okay, yes, yes, um, yes. Uh, a, piece, a, piece, a piece that contains the oboe, yes, yes. That, that is, that's very special. Evidently, it was also a special favorite of his wife, Anna Magdalena. Okay, Cantata 82. Cantata 82. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, look, uh, we'll look at that. Uh, and, uh, but again, one of, one, of, one of the wonderful things about classical music is there's such a huge variety. And, I know, um, I know. You know. Where to start? Well, I mean, you're not you're you're not helping very much, my listeners. You 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 uh, you know so many things. <laughs> you you you're so much all over the place. We don't know where to start when we finish with you, Ola. <laughs> well, um, you know, Bach Bach is good. Handel is wonderful. Be the Beethoven symphonies, Beethoven string quartets. Haydn, Haydn, I love too. You know. And actually, it's interesting that, you know, I spend a certain amount of time every day studying scores. That's, I start my day by, by, by taking orchestra scores just in my bedroom away from the piano and, and studying them. Um, my favorite things to study during the pandemic have been Haydn symphonies. Okay. And they're just so... so you're, more, you're more docile uh, disciple uh, than Beethoven, concerning Haydn. Beethoven well, said that he learned nothing from, from Haydn. Well... <laughs> But it's interesting that, that you know, clearly in these circumstances... The but, it, pandemic, but it was not certain, true. There's a certain stability and, and um, consistency in Haydn. I mean, there's just, he's just very solid. You can really hang on to him. It's just... Yes, yes, he's, a, he's an excellent teacher, yes. He's an excellent teacher of composition, yes. yes I agree with you. Something like the, the, the Oxford Symphony is just such a wonderful, wonderful piece. And, yes. You know, and his, not, not all of his symphonies are as, as good as every other. I mean, with Beethoven, every symphony is, is a masterpiece, even though yes. some are more, yes. you know, are more revolutionary than others, like the Eroica and the Fifth yes. Symphony. Yes. But the, uh, um, you know, but everyone is a masterpiece. That actually isn't true with Haydn, because he wrote 104 of them. They're mm -hmm. not. They're not all equally equally good. Very prolific. But, but the ones yes. that are, are really good are really good. And, yes. Uh, yes. Um, the reason why I'm asking you this is because uh, when people start, you know, listening to uh, when to classical music, usually they they um, they listen to the composer that that has a personality similar to their own. Okay, our, our best friends, our closest friends, if you know this, are people that have a personality that is very similar to ours. Yeah. I have the same personality because we're in the same wavelength. Uh, and this is the kind of music that we like to come back to 
because we're like a fish, uh, you know, that's that's the water we need for the fish that we are in the aquarium. It's, uh, it's the air we need to breathe. Uh, this this is where we, we it feels like home when, when we listen to the, these composers. While uh, the, um, if we go out of, your, of our comfort zone uh, and uh, we explore, if I can see other composers, uh, that would be at, at, at that moment the music that is similar to your spouse. <laughs> okay, so depending depending of, your, of of what you like to listen, you know, you're saying, "Well, I like to be with my friends, or I like to, or I love my spouse." One of the two, you know. That's a uh, that's it's it's, it's an interesting kind of relation that I'm uh, I'm oh, thinking no. of. No, I know, and the thing is, of course, that. that Again, that's one of the great advantages. I'm, I'm just so grateful that, to the fact that I followed Mev Berman's advice and started off by being a, a professional performer, being, a, a, you know, being able to perform at a high professional level because it just opened up so many different experiences of playing different music, of knowing what it means to perform for an audience, to share music with an audience. Um, I mean, you are very intellectual, uh, but you don't like, you don't look like someone this pragmatic like Bach, you know. So, <laughs> well, you know, when you say when you say when you say that you love Bach so much, maybe you say that you love your your spouse through this music. <laughs> well, I do like to be very systematic, and to the point. Yes, I'd be curious to to know what kind of temperament your spouse has. We're quite different, actually. Well, I'm obviously. If you listen to my oboe and cello duo, you can hear the two different characters. Yes. Uh, you'll hear you'll hear the two different characters in the piece. Okay. That was very specifically written for 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 Joanne and myself. Yes. And your uh, uh, your duo. Um, how do you call your duo already? Just call it. It's called duo for oboe and cello. Yes, but you the the, the you you call it a, you give it a special oh, name like. Chai. You know, duo chai. The other the other Giant. thing is you know, is, is that Joanne and I have been very much involved in yoga and, and meditation, this kind of thing, for many years. That's one of the things that drew us together. Okay. Uh, um, so, Stuart Grant, thank you so much for coming to this interview. It's really been my, my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for your contribution, the, the, the great contribution that you had uh, you know, around yourself at the beginning, uh, with the, with all these young people and your contribution with all these orchestra throughout Canada, and uh, and uh, and then we're very grateful for all what you're doing. Uh, we're looking forward for your next composition. <laughs> well, you know, my feeling is is that music is above all else. It's about people. Music is for people. And it's yes. the whole idea is is that through music we can share emotions and really we can share we can share joy we can share very positive emotions, and also very profound emotions. Very, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, as I like to say, I mean, a, a piece of music should be like a like a dear friend that you can turn to, you know, in in good times and in bad times, and and you know, who can give you solace in in the in the hard times and. And maybe just good friendship. And that's so. In terms of looking for the music that we love, I mean, that's actually what we're looking for. Is, is music becomes our companion. Exactly. Yes. It makes yes. Uh, it it makes our life that much richer and fuller. Absolutely. Yeah. Music. Uh, classical music, and especially, helps so much the 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 brain and the heart to blossom. Yes. Yeah. And that's yes. Thank I you can't... so much. Well. Thank you so much for. Uh, making music sense huh? <laughs> it's my pleasure <laughs> okay so keeping in touch indeed hopefully and thank you and, uh, and uh, okay thank you so much again okay bye bye okay bye